0: Thank you for tuning in to the sermon podcast from Redeeming Hope. We exist as a family of faith that follows Jesus and helps others find him by living all of life as missionaries of hope. If you want more information about our church or would like to support our ministry, go to our website at redeeminghope.org. Please enjoy the sermon podcast. Thank you guys for joining me in prayer for Freddie T. Please continue to pray for him and his wife, Susan and their kids and for real life Sango. Now, as we um, introduce my friend Dave Shive, uh, we were wrapping up our sermon series, Encouragements from Abroad. And I just can't think of a better person to end with than Dave Shive. Actually, if you remember uh, a couple months ago, we went through a series called Words of Grace. And I used to text or email Dave every week to make sure that I was understanding the words of the scripture and their context. I was asking for his advice. He's given me resources and counsel. And um, man, he's such a gift to our church. And you haven't even met him yet, but you're going to get a chance to meet him here in just a second. As, and I just pray that you are really, truly as encouraged um, by him as I've been encouraged as he brings us an encouraging word from abroad. Here's our friend, Dave Shive. Well, good day to you in Tennessee.
1: My name is Dave Shive, and I'm coming to you from Baltimore, Maryland, the morning after four to six inches of snow. I don't know what the weather's like in Tennessee, but it's not that bad up here compared to other places. I want to thank Josh for inviting me to participate in the preaching at Redeeming Hope. It's an honor and i'm delighted today that i can share on something that's really a passion of mine i want to talk about the goodness of god in affliction that may seem sound odd to you it certainly would have sounded odd to me about 30 years ago even though i was a seminary graduate and a pastor at the time i had not done much thinking or study in scripture on the topic of affliction and then suddenly I found myself in about a two and a half year period where I was struggling and suffering and I couldn't figure out why and it was during those two and a half years that God began to do something in me that opened up my eyes to the truths of God's Word in affliction, and I emerged after two and a half years with an entirely different perspective. You know how your world just gets turned upside down, and suddenly you see something so differently than you ever did before? Well, that's what happened to me. And so it was at that time that I fell in love with the book of Psalms, and I especially uh fell in love with two parts of the book of psalms one is psalm forty1 to three and during those two and a half years i spent many many hours in psalm forty1 to three the other text that became very important to me is in psalm 119 you know that psalm that has 176 verses to it. Well, I found a little section of eight verses that proved to be a real nugget for me during my time of affliction. Psalm 119 is divided into eight verse sections. There's 176 verses, and each eight verses are divided into a section, and they are alphabetized. That is, the first eight verses of Psalm 119 begin with the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet, Aleph. The second eight verses begin each with the second letter of the Hebrew alphabet, Beit, and so on. So it's quite a masterpiece. That's just scratching the surface of how amazing this psalm is. C.S. Lewis wrote about it once because he was marveling about how incredible this psalm was. And he, he spoke of it uh, as a pattern. He says it's a pattern. It's a thing that's done like embroidery. Speaking of the author who would put together a psalm like this and says he did it like one would do embroidery. That is stitch by stitch. For long, quiet hours. Why? For love of the subject. And the delight in leisurely, disciplined craftsmanship. That's a good analysis of Psalm 119. The loving craftsmanship of the psalmist who had something on his mind. And apparently what he had on his mind was God's word and his love for it. I've often thought about how this psalm was put together, and I've asked myself a question that I want to ask you as well, which is, if you were challenged to write a a poem made up of 176 two-lined verses, 176 verses, each verse having two lines, and Every eight verses, you had to start with another letter of the English alphabet. First eight verses begin with A, the second with B, the third with C, and so forth. And you had to do it all on one topic, your passion. Let's say you like to fish. You had to write this entire psalm about fishing. Never repeat yourself. Or cooking. Or running or cycling, or working on cars, whatever your passion is, woodworking, what would it take for you to write 176 two-line verses alphabetized on your passion? Well, that's what the psalmist did. It's quite an accomplishment. And when you look at Psalm 119 in your English Bible, you may often see something that looks like, at the start of each eight verses, a, a statement one-word statement, which is really a letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And so you can then begin to see that the English translations have often put those in at the start of each eight verses, so you know you've got a new letter of the Hebrew alphabet coming up. So the passion of the author is God's Word. And Yet, there's a subtext in almost every verse. And I want to go today to Psalm 119, verses 65 to 72. Eight verses in Psalm 119. The Hebrew letter is Teth, which may not mean anything to you, and it's not that important, really, other than to say... Every verse, verses 65 to 72, the first letter of each verse is the Hebrew letter, Teth. And in these eight verses, the psalmist has some things on his mind. And his vocabulary tells us what he's thinking about. And it answers the question, what is he focusing on in these eight verses? I think there's a theme here. I want you to see it with me. Because there are three key ideas woven together in Psalm 119, verses 65 to 72. These three ideas are three words. The first word is affliction, it occurs twice in this section affliction. The second key word is good or goodness, and it occurs six times. In these eight verses. And the third key word is learning or learn. And that occurs three times. Affliction, goodness, learning. Three key words. And all three of these ideas, in a sense, are summed up in verse 71. Where the psalmist says, it is good. Get the word goodness there. That I was afflicted there's the word afflict, or affliction, that I might learn, learn, your statutes. It is good that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. All three ideas contained in that one verse, verse 71. Now, I don't think that this section intends for us to just zero in on the topic of affliction. Rather, affliction is a means of, something. It's a means to an end. Nor do I think the emphasis is on goodness, which is the cause of affliction, as we'll see. But rather the goal of affliction that makes it good is the result. And what is that result? Learning. We get taught So when the psalmist says, it is good for me, he's speaking of the cause. There's a goodness that causes affliction and that results in us learning something. So the goodness of God is what shows up here. And it's a surprising kind of connection because when we think of affliction, we may not instinctively think of God's goodness or of goodness at all. We might think of how wretched it is that I have affliction or that I have to suffer. But the goodness that surrounds God seems to have really impressed the psalmist in this section. But what could be so valuable about God's law that it's worth suffering to acquire learning? Why is God's goodness such a focus here? Well, let me point you to one of the verses, and then we'll go through all eight verses. And the verse I want you to see is verse 68. Twice the term good occurs in verse 68, where the psalmist says, you are good and you do good. Those are very different things. Get that? You are good and you do good. That is, God, by his very nature, is good that's separate from his actions and we need to distinguish the two you are good but your actions are also good and we recognize both of those two elements related to God one is that he's good that evokes from us praise the other is that he does good his actions are good and that evokes from us gratitude We praise God for who he is, that he's good. And we thank God for what he does, that he does good things. This idea is all over the book of Psalms. Psalm 31, verse 19. Oh, how abundant is your goodness, says the psalmist. A number of times the psalmist says in various places, give thanks to the Lord for he is good for his loving kindness is forever. And so it seems as if the psalmist has really settled on this idea of the goodness of God. He landed there, and it becomes kind of a benchmark from which everything else flows, the very goodness of God. And so in this psalm then, the goodness of God, though the term Loving kindness will not be emphasized, is nevertheless it's nevertheless lurking always in the background because that's the thing that God is so good about, his loving kindness. It's his sweet spot, it's his niche, it's the thing that God does above all other things that the psalmist seems so captivated by. So let me go through these eight verses and just highlight a few things so that we can see how important these verses are to our thinking. Let's start with verse 65, where the psalmist says, You have dealt well with your servant, O Lord, according to your word. Now, I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible. You may have a different version. You may see the word good there. You have done good, or something like that, or you did good. And that word is that word good, whether it's translated well or good. It's that Hebrew word that begins with the letter Teth. That's the first word in that verse. You have done well with your servant. Now, each one of these verses yields a principle for us as well. And there's a principle here in verse 65. And it's right at the start, at the outset, the very first principle that we see here is that one can see that they've been treated well by God. Just look over your life. Look back. Yeah, there's low spots, but look at the totality of your life. That's what the psalmist is doing. He's looking at a season or a totality of his life and saying, you've really treated me well, God, and that's consistent with what I would expect from you because of your law. Notice it says, according to your word. That is, your word suggests to me that you are good and do good, and therefore I would expect that you would treat me well. The assumption is this is what God does. God is one who treats his children well. You have dealt well with your servant. We could start there. What a simple thing. And what a way to start with God as well in the morning. Lord, yesterday you treated me well. Do well with me today, would you? Help me to see everything that you do today as a good thing that you are doing for me. That takes us to the next verse, verse 66. Just going right through these eight verses where the psalmist says, Teach me good discernment. Now notice that, teach me. That's the first occurrence of three of that word, teach or learn. In the Hebrew, teach and learn are the same word. just depends on how it's used to be taught something, to learn something. Same Hebrew word. Here it is, teach me. I want to learn from you. What do I want to learn from you? I want to learn good discernment. There we have the second occurrence of the word good in this section. And that's the first word again in verse 66. That is, in verse sixty-five, the first word as well. is well. The verse sixty-six in the Hebrew, the first word is "good." Teach me good discernment. I want to learn good discernment. And it's an interesting word. That idea of discernment—you know—to have. Sometimes we'll speak of people who have discerning taste. That is, they can eat a food and they can pick out the elements, or they can look at a piece of art or listen to some music and they can recognize the components and and have insightful thoughts on it. Discerning taste. Well, actually, the Hebrew word here for discernment is taste. It's almost like he's saying, teach me good taste. Give me good taste. I want to be able to assess things well, and I want to have knowledge. Teach me good discernment and knowledge. Help me. I need help. I don't naturally taste things well, so when things come my way, I don't know how to taste them. I don't have the discernment to look at a situation and figure out what it is, where it come from, what came from, why it's there, and why God has done that for me. That was my situation back in the early 90s when I found myself on what I called a night shift experience that lasted for two and a half years. I didn't have the taste to figure it out. I went through that entire time never understanding. It was only later that I figured out what God was doing in my life. But by then, I had acquired some taste because God's word had given that to me. So in addition to the first verse, verse 65, where at the outset the psalmist is recognizing that they've been treated well and that that's consistent with God's law, in verse 66, he's got this feeling, this sense that he's deficient in his taste. There's a deficiency there. He lacks something. Nothing perhaps more pleasing to God than for his children to say, God, teach me. And so that sense arises because one is deficient in spiritual taste. It's a starting point. Just admit. We all have to do that. I am deficient in my Ability to discern my circumstances. And I want to acquire a discerning spiritual sense. This is like being a child. This is childlike. These are the things that parents ask. These are things that people ask when they realize that they lack taste in something. I'll watch a movie. Well, I'm not a good person to analyze movies. I can't always figure out the deeper meaning of things. But I'll ask someone, I've got relatives and, and children and grandchildren, i say, what did that movie mean? What, what was that scene all about? In a sense, that's childlike, that's learning, that's me saying, I don't know how to figure that movie out. Or I might taste something, and I'll say, I like the taste of this, but I can't figure out what's in it. What do you taste? And someone with a good uh, culinary sense We'll say, well, it's got some cilantro in it, and I can taste cloves or, or garlic or this or that herb, whatever. And sure enough, I realize how little I know, and I've discovered something new about food or about a movie. That's what the psalmist wants. He says, I want to be able to assess life. I want to be able to make sense out of it. Give me the taste, the discernment that I need to do that. In verse 67, the third verse in this section, he says, Before I was afflicted, I went astray. first word there in that verse is before. That's not that important necessarily, but it does show the psalmist was working on his acrostic, starting every verse with the same letter. Before I was afflicted, and there we have the first of two occurrences of the word afflicted in this section. He now comes to affliction. Before I was afflicted, I remember what I was like. I went astray. And here this third principle is that this desire to have good taste was was granted to him in an unexpected way. When he might have said, or we might say, verse 66, God, teach me to have good taste about life. How do we expect him to answer that? Well, we don't necessarily expect him to answer it by by allowing affliction into our lives. We might expect him to do some supernatural work of the Holy Spirit where we just wake up one morning and we've got good taste. God's much wiser. He knows how we learn. And so, in an unexpected way, he grants the request of verse 66, and the psalmist recognizes it in verse 67. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. I lacked discernment and knowledge. But now, I keep your word. I guard it, literally, is what the word keep means. I protect it. It's become precious to me. It has great value. Being afflicted taught me something, he's saying in verse 67. And now he's beginning to reflect on his climbing out of that situation. Because he's saying, before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now, after that, whatever his situation was, mine was two and a half years of of great difficulty, but for him, it was something else that we don't know about. Maybe it was a series of events. So now he's making progress. And that brings us to verse 68, which I think is maybe... Uh, one of the two key verses in this section where the psalmist says, you are good and do good. I've already talked about that a little bit. But now we're beginning to see how important that is. That first, good, is the first word of verse 68 in the Hebrew. You are good and you do good. And because you are good and because you do good, That is because by your nature you're good and by your actions you're good. I only can say one thing. Teach me your law. I want to learn. And so this fourth principle in verse 68 uh, leads us to see that acquisition of good taste that was introduced back in verse 66 leads to the conclusion. Now we've got good taste. What do we say about God? Well, we say, Wow, now that I've got good discernment, I can see that God is good by his nature and that God does good by his actions. And what does this do for me? This just intensifies my desire to understand and to learn his law. I want to go deeper with his law. And that's what affliction has done. The affliction of verse 67 has led to a conclusion in verse 68. The affliction in verse 67 was before he went astray. Now that the affliction is over and he is ceasing the kind of going astray that he was involved in, he concludes that God is good by his nature, good by his actions, and he must, he absolutely must, have a greater understanding of the law of god this is kind of the the central idea here the goodness of god we can never appreciate affliction or understand our sufferings if we start there we have to start with god and with the goodness of god that's not where i was starting and i should have known better i was a bible college graduate i had graduated from seminary i had been a pastor for 20 years at that point i've been in full-time christian ministry and suddenly i realized i did not understand much and i began to ask god to teach me we want more we become grateful to him for his actions we become worshipful towards him for his nature and we just want to learn more that brings us to the fifth verse verse 69 here the psalmist is going to uh, reflect back on the people who may have actually been the cause of his affliction He speaks of the arrogant who forged a lie against him. These people made up lies, and so part of his affliction was simply having to deal with people who lied about him. But now he's thinking, I understand that. I understand who they were. What they were.